0: Hey, that's cool. Hey, that's even better. What a great God we serve. Hey, I was reading through some scriptures, and a a great scripture that um, I've known for a long time is uh, Philippians 4.4. And it talks about um, Paul sharing there about uh, life's journey. And Paul knew out of everyone most people i should say being the, the apostle and what he went through uh that life is full of ups and downs so he's encouraging words to us his ex- exhortation to us rejoice in the lord always and again i say rejoice and i can tell you now that it's quite easy saying those words and we can say them over and over again but you know we need to give life and meaning to those words and by doing that we need to look at our life and go you know what I'm not just going to say it, I'm going to put some action to it. I'm going to get involved, I'm going to read the word, I'm going to get into prayer, I'm going to do all the things that, that tell me as a Christian that God's right there with me. No matter what's happening, through the good times and the bad, through the valleys and the mountains that we climb at times and the, the bridges that are sometimes collapsed on those journeys that we don't expect, that God is going to carry us through. And you know, in those words, Paul is really just encouraging us to do exactly that. Give meaning to those words. And just remember, we're Christians, you know? We're bigger than that. And God's a great big God. And he can carry us through all those situations. So those words are quite powerful. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And that's what we need to continue to do as Christians. Hey, there's some new people here. Now, we can't shake hands. Well, I suppose we can, sort of. But hey, how about turning around and giving someone an Air 5? Like, you know, Air 5, yeehaw! I've got some announcements. (laughs) Apparently, there's one more song to sing, and uh, they wanted me to lead that song, but uh, I'm going to pass on that one. (laughs) But uh, I just want to share some announcements before we do do the next song and the offering, of course. That's okay, isn't it? That's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. So, don't forget to check. You can take a seat. It's okay, except for Jackie, Pastor Jackie. You can keep standing. (laughs) so uh, don't forget to check in if you've come into church via the app or through the computer at the front door there the other thing we've got happening is um, another bike ride and I I say that because we did a bike ride yesterday and there was 12 of us which had we had a great ride to Glengarry and the great thing about bike rides is you always get surprised by what happens and what you see So we got to Glengarry and Kiralee turns up with all these wonderful scones and they were absolutely delicious. So thank you, Kiralee. The other great thing we get to see are eagles and falcons and other lots of wildlife of all sorts. But we also came across another uh, type of wildlife. It's about a meter long. It's a bit closer to the ground, but it was a beautiful looking creature. We just rode around it and it was, you know, pleasant. So if you're looking for some excitement and some uh, fun and something a little bit different, our next bike ride uh, next month, watch this space. The other thing we've got happening is we've got a guest speaker next week. Now, when I was growing up, I used to watch a show called, or a television series called Lost in Space. Now, many of you will know that, especially if you're around my age, 21. Um, And in that series, there was a robot and there was uh, a naughty uh, antagonist called Dr. Smith. And the robot would often say, danger, Will Robinson, danger, danger. And uh, now we're not having a robot next week come and speak, but we are having a person with a surname Smith coming along. And it is not Dr. Smith, I'm sorry to say, but it is Kim Smith from the BUV. Yeah. And she loves coming here to preach. So come along, hear the message and you'll be excited and you will not be lost in space. Trust me, you will be here. So you'll, you'll love it. Come along now. The Good Friday service, happening not next Friday, but the Friday after. That's happening at 9am, so make sure you're here, nice and early. Are we having hot cross buns? Oh, a little bit, so you've got to get in. Oh, okay, cool. Righto, so first in, best dressed, you want to get in quick before the kids get in there. Um, So watch out and watch this space for that too. Now, our offering buckets, of course, have been transformed into an offering box. It's at the back of the room there or at the back of the worship area. And there you go. Lovely Karen is pointing to that. There you go. There you go. So if you've got an offering, you can place it into the offering box. It's not a robot. (laughs) So um, you can do that on your way out as we leave. And after the service, do hang around because we do have coffee and some fellowship afterwards, whether it's in the um, foyer or in the hall. So either place, do hang around. Don't just go home, but spend some time chatting and catching up with some people and talking about what's happened in your week and what's to come, exciting times. Rightio, I'm going to pray for the offering and then we're going to move on to the next song. (laughs) Okay. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that uh, all these ministries help to grow your kingdom. And we know, Lord God, that uh, these ministries happen because of the financial support that this great family of God give continually. So Lord, bless the ministries, bless the growth in this church and bless the lives that are transformed and changed because of the work that is done here. But you know what? It's all in your name, Lord Jesus. And as Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice and amen to that. So God bless you all.
1: God, we thank you for this time where we can come together, where we can think about who you are in our life, who we are to one another and how we can continue to draw people to you. God, we thank you for this special time of worship where we can um, just spend time putting aside the busyness of our life and just come before you and say thank you and worship you and give our lives to you again. God, we thank you uh, that you are with us. God, we thank you that you are always with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a seat, take a seat. Obviously, I am a little debilitated this morning, but let's pretend this is not happening and just focus on the message instead, because hopefully I'll say something even more important than... That my back is broken. So so we're looking this morning at um, how we can move people from being strangers to family. So how we can move them into our family and also how we can move them into God's family. So how fun is this? So let's just spend a couple of minutes for a start just thinking about what this statement even means. Who are strangers, really, and who are our family? I guess strangers are people we don't know yet. We have a growth mindset, surely, and we're just saying that we don't know them yet. And our family can be people we are related to or who have married into our family or people we're especially close to, right? Well, usually that's the case. Sometimes we don't know people in our actual family very well at all and I'm thinking... For me, more my extended family. And there are people that I'm related to that I don't know very well at all. And sometimes we can have people on the other side of the world uh, that we haven't seen for decades, but who we remain especially close to. That's certainly the case for me. And sometimes we meet somebody for the first time and you just get this little... um, little jump in your spirit that says I know that we are going to be close like family and sometimes you can just know that straight away and I would challenge you to think who could you do the five thousand dollar test with and by that I mean who could you just ring and say I need five thousand dollars and I need it now and I can't tell you what I need it for but I need you to give it to me um if you've got some people in that life in, in your life that are like that that's your family. I've got several people in this room, try not to look at anyone specifically, um, but you'd probably be quite interested to know that I feel that way about you, that you would (laughs) actually do that for me. And I've also got people on the other side of the world that I don't spend a lot of time with, but if I made a call like that to them, they would just send me the money because they love me and they trust me. And just on that note, I think that's a privileged position to be in. There are people in our community who would not have one person that they could go to that is in their friendship circle or in their family that they could ask for money like that. So um, let's just bear that in mind as we keep going this morning. So speaking of people on the other side of the world, a really big shout out to our friends in Columbus, Ohio, um, you might think that's an odd thing to say, but because we can track who's listening to us, um, we can tell you that there is 80 plus people in the town of Columbus, Ohio, that join us regularly on our podcast and listen to us. So, I just want to say hi to you guys. Um, so, they're like a little part of our family. Um, And I just encourage one of you people in Columbus Ohio to send us maybe an email um, just to let us know a little bit about you and your community and, and why it is that you're choosing to connect with us so regularly. It's wonderful. All right, so we've set a little foundation and we're going to look a little bit about how God moves us from stranger to family and also how we can do this for other people. So, in Luke 15, there's a story of the prodigal son, and there is also in that um, chapter the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost sheep. And these are great stories which Jesus told to illustrate the sense of loss when someone goes missing, and the absolute joy when they are found. So, I'm not going to read that whole thing because it's long, but um, so we'll just paraphrase the prodigal son story. So, if you're not familiar with it, the prodigal son is wayward and leaves the family, do we have our little backdrop picture-y thing? We could just pop that up. Um, so he leaves the family and it, until he comes to the very end of himself and realises that he would be better off even on the very fringes of the family that he used to be a part of. On his return, his father rejoices and welcomes him back into mid, into the middle of his family and this is how God is with us. Um, That's a little picture there of the prodigal daughter. I hope that's not too challenging for everyone. But that's just a picture of how kind of God picks you up and it's a really intimate embrace. Um, And that is how God is with us. So that's what he does. But how does he do it? Um, We can look in John 3.16 which says one of the most well-known verses in the Bible probably. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And in Galatians 3:26 and 29, it says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. We're adopted into his family. We're not just on the fringes. We are his children and he adopts us. God knows the pain of broken relationship and divorce. This he experienced with Israel many times as they were unable to remain faithful to him. But he loved them still and had a plan to save his chosen family and, thankfully for us, everyone else as well. These scriptures show us that it cost God a great deal to redeem us or buy us back. It cost him separation from his son for a time. But he thinks we are worth it. God knows the value and the joy of communion and fellowship because he has enjoyed it forever as part of the Trinity and he will enjoy it forever. His communion is perfect and lasting and Jesus has modelled for us how to live in fellowship. He touched people, he ate with people, he shared his life with people and he believed in them. His disciples are examples. He chose them and lived closely with them, sharing life with them, and out of this came the movement that we still call church 2,000 plus years later. We know that God moved first. He moved towards us first, and he loved us while we were still strangers. God loves us and accepts us just as we are, and he died for us just as we are. That is such a quick skim over what it is that God does to move us into his families and stop us being strangers. So how should we do this? We mostly try and start from where we think we are with people, but actually we're just about never where we think we are. We've got some ground to cover before we can even get to that point. And if that sounds confusing to you, let me explain. Um, If we go back a generation or two, the level of biblical literacy was much higher. People mostly went to church. People mostly knew what the Bible was. People mostly knew the stories in the Bible and the themes it contained. Not saying they were all Christians, but they basically knew that the Bible was true. This is absolutely no longer the case. Many people can now make it into adulthood without ever hearing about the Bible, um, about the stories that are contained in the Bible and about Jesus. So it's a mistake for us to assume that people know those stories that we take for granted. Just think for a moment what uh, people from a non-church background um, would know about the church. Um, Probably the place that they're going to get to hear about it the most is on the news and what would they hear about the church on the news, good things or bad things? The church is often known these days for what it is against um, and that will be in the news. People will stand up and, and, you know, demonstrate against something that the church is against but they'll rarely know what it is for. So, as Christians, it's best for us not to lead with Scripture. Let's not um, ask people to believe something from Scripture because they they don't even know what it is yet. They don't believe in the Bible yet so... Just let's not lead with that. So we've got some ground to make up, even to get people to believe that Christianity might be a good thing if it was true, before we demonstrate to them that it is. little Blaise Pascal reference there, for anyone who's playing. Um, so, Charlie McAsee. So I don't know who knows Charlie McAsee, but Charlie McAsee is the... Um, the artist who drew this picture, and he's probably really best known for his uh, book that's about a horse and a mole and a fox and a boy. So there's some combination of that that is the title of the book. And um, he's a he was a one-time atheist, and he's now a Christian. So he's a very thoughtful Christian. He's reasoned his way into being a Christian. Um, and I listened to, to a message of his. Um, he calls himself. A scruffy individual or a scruffy artist or something like that, and he really really is um so like he's all kind of fixed up now but but he's still scruffy and in he was in a big church preaching uh had a significant um pulpit that he was standing in, but he was still scruffy, he had a, like a big tear in his shirt down the back when he turned around and looked like his hair needed a wash, but anyway. This message, he said something that just stuck with me. Um, And he said, the Christian message has often been, don't and stop it. That's the message that comes from the church to people who are not in the church. And he said, nearly everyone doesn't need a slap, they need a hug. And so that's a real challenge for us, I think, as a church, to, to make sure that we're not saying to people, don't and stop it but drawing them close, getting to know them and giving them the hug that they really need. In Australia, especially in the north, you know, in the hot, dry places, they have these massive farms that are so different to what we have here. We have nice little green fields here um, with a little fence around it, maybe a couple of acres with 100 cows. I don't know, I'm making that up, but um, you get the idea. They don't have to go looking for their food. It's just right there and they can... Just munch on it where they are. But in the north of Australia, they have these, these massive farms and and the cows sort of have to go looking for their food a little bit more. Um, so think kind of the size of Gippsland um, would not be unreasonable, I think, up there. So how are you going to keep those cattle all in one place? So you could try and build a fence around it and just think logistically how that might be the cost of it, the time it would take um, the labour involved and then you'd need to go round it all the time and just make sure that it was still uh, secure and it was still keeping the cattle where they needed to be so you could try that Um, or you can just sink a well and the cattle will just stay there because there's water there and they know it's there and they will stay where the food is and where the nourishment is they'll hang around it for sure So the church, and that's you guys and me, by the way, needs to be like that. Less fencing in the way of rules and more watering in terms of what's nourishing and life-giving. What cost are we prepared to pay for others, the people we know, to come to know Jesus? And how long will we keep paying it? I believe that we need to follow Jesus' example and share our lives with people. And I I think that word share, I've been saying this for like a year, is super important. We have things that we can share. We have resources, we have skills, uh, we have an ability to reason that some people don't have, and we can share that with other people. One of the most important questions Jews in Jesus' day could ask was, who may I eat with? Jesus ate with everyone and when he healed the leper he touched him and he turned the tables on previous thinking that you would become contaminated by touching someone unclean. Instead Jesus contaminated the leper when he touched him with his cleanness. How are we doing at that? Not with actual lepers of course but who are we touching with our lives who are perhaps unclean who are um, experiencing difficult circumstances, in, and you can think of what they might be. Are we scared that they're going to affect us, or are we confident that we can affect them? How does our behaviour include others in our family, especially the poor and marginalised? Jesus has a bit to say about this. In Luke eleven forty six, 46, it says, "'Woe to you, lawyers, also!' For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Do we set a high standard and then do nothing to help people reach it? How might this look today? This thought is borrowed from a book called um, A Meal with Jesus. Today's Pharisees might condemn the poor for their dysfunctional families, but not lift one finger to help Today's Pharisees might condemn the poor for their excessive drinking but lift not one finger to ease their pain. Today's Pharisees might condemn the poor for their laziness but lift not one finger to provide employment. We can condemn these things at a distance. That's legalism. We must come alongside proclaiming and demonstrating the transforming grace of God. We need to get to know people. Um, If you get to know someone, you know their why. It's very easy to judge people from a distance. But if you actually know that person and you know why, some of the backstory to why they do the things that they do, it's a lot harder to judge from there. And also if you think that someone like me is being judgmental about a situation or about a person. You can only really know that for sure if you've had a talk with me about it. And, it, and if I look like I'm having an opinion about something, then you can talk to me and find out, is, is it really that I'm just judging that person or is it really because I have a real heart for that person and I'm so sorry um, for, what, for them for what they're doing and I feel like one day they might be sorry too we need to get closer to each other, we need to do this better, we need to talk more, we need to find out the why behind people's what. It was Abraham Lincoln who said, I do not like that man very much, I must get to know him better and I think that there's a a real truth in that for a lot of us, we need to get to know people better. So, in this book, A Meal with Jesus, it tells a story about a couple in South America who were working with some of society's marginalised, the, the prostitutes and the drug addicts and people like that. And they were encouraging people to come to church. They were getting alongside them, forming relationship and then encouraging them to come to church. And one Sunday when they turned up, the doors of the church were locked because the people of the church would rather close their doors and shut the church down than have people like that coming along. This couple realised that many people that they were reaching out to and trying to help and find homes for uh, were not married. And so as they got to know them, they found out why that was. It wasn't because they didn't want to be married. It's because they couldn't afford to. Um, In that culture, um, the licences were expensive, so they couldn't afford that. And then there was always an expectation culturally that you would hold a big party when you got married, and they couldn't do that either so they just were unable to get married um, so this couple um, got involved they got uh, licenses for free they would hold mass weddings and and then a mass party which sort of you know ticked that box for everyone uh, and in one of those ceremonies three generations of one family got married at the same time and they'd always wanted to be married but they just didn't know how they didn't know how to get past all of the things that were in their way and and the first time I read that in this book, I just teared up. I just thought, wow, I wonder, you know, who, who out there is in our community who uh, wants to live life better and different? And they just don't know how. And they need somebody like that to come alongside. So you see, they, rather than judging from a distance, they got close. They unfolded their arms and they got busy with their hands and they made a difference in these people's lives. Let me tell you a story now about my friend Fred. His name's not actually Fred. So, I was just thinking, if randomly next week a man comes in here and his name is Fred, it's not him. Okay, so, yeah. I was just thinking, what name do we not have in the church? Fred. So, um, I've known Fred for many years and helped him in so many ways. He was a factor in us moving to Warwick. Not the only reason, but he was a factor. And literally, we moved in on the Saturday and he moved out on the Friday. (laughs) And I was like, on you, Fred, well done. Um, But he was my person of peace in that community. um, And we'll talk about that a little bit later, too. Fred shared part of his story with me over the years. And part of it is that the church was damaging to his family in a previous generation. Um, He's got a lot of challenges in his life. So I determined that as far as possible, on your behalf, the church would try and say yes to him whenever we could. It's not perfect. Sometimes it's good and I can give him honest feedback. I say to him, Fred, we're friends, aren't we? And he will say yes. He calls me matey, which I think is a a real privilege for someone, someone like Fred to call me that. And sometimes it's not good. Sometimes I get mad with him and disappointed with him because he continues to just make the choices. And I need to take a little break. Um, But I take a little break, not because he's done something wrong, but because I don't deserve to be around him, because I've slipped back into judging. I've slipped back into thinking you should be better than this. And so until I get myself a little bit... um, cleaned up and I stop that and and get get back to being in a good place around him, I don't deserve to be around him. Uh, Some of the pastors spent some days out of the office this week, we were at um, a Baptist Union, um, uh, what do you call that, gathering, there you go, Um, so not really a retreat because we work pretty hard. and listened to other Baptist pastors uh, and learned from them uh, about connecting with people, helping to draw them towards a saving relationship with God. And I also spent one day at um, an Empowered Faith Communities Intensive in Melbourne as well. But anyway, a lot of the stories are the same from these two groups that I spent time with. There is a new little buzz phrase around in um, Baptist circles called placemaking. And uh, they do this. There are some suburbs in Melbourne, some real big ones that have been created and are still being created, where it's all just housing and there's no provision made for church. So you're talking thousands of thousands of people are being moved into these brand new suburbs and there is no church, there's no building for that, um, because it's a little difficult, so you'd need to build a mosque and a church and like you know, so they just don't, they're not building any of those. Um, so, how do you still have a Christian influence in a community like that? And so, they refer to this as place making. So, uh, sometimes the Baptist Union will fund a house in the area and they'll put, put people in there who are going to do this place making thing. They're going to be like a chaplain in the community. Um... And so that is very different. Uh, Another little buzz phrase around is person of peace. And that your person of peace is somebody who likes you, somebody who is listening to you, and somebody who wants to serve you. So that's why my friend Fred would have been a good good thing for me in the Warwick community. Uh, We're talking a lot more about faith communities and missional communities. So not so much like this but having little com- uh, communities that are in the community where they belong. Um, so it's just a, a little bit of a shift, really. So there's not the primary focus of getting people to become Christians so that they can come along to a church like this, but it's, it's helping people uh, to come to a saving relationship with Jesus, which is the most important thing. So some of those, like the Warwick community, the work that we're doing out there, we're not doing that so that people will come here. We're doing that so that we can have a faith community there. Our online community, we have you know a significant online community now, and we're not doing that because we want them to eventually come here. We're doing that because they are our online community and they are their own community. and we minister to them, we reach out to them and we accommodate them. The Ohio community, uh, presumably they're already Christians, but, um, you know, we're not expecting them to come here, but they're a little faith community that is now connected with our church. Um, And that is fine, and it's just a new way of thinking there's so many other potential pockets of community, maybe in sporting clubs. You can see how you could have a little faith community in a sporting club that would come from having a person of peace that you're working with there and then they are the right people to reach out around to the rest of that sporting club. So definitely more focused on kingdom growth and church growth or Sail Baptist Church growth as we would normally think of it. My back's getting better, just... Just saying, this is getting easier as I'm going along, so that's good. Um, so this is still great, what we do here, to be able to come together in a large group, to celebrate together and to worship God together and to, to learn together and to be God's family here. Um, but we just need to understand that, that things are changing a little bit and that there will be faith communities whose primary goal is not to come here, but to be where they are. So I'm not talking about a program with all of this. I'm not even primarily talking about ministry as we would normally understand it, like a fly-in, fly-out type of thing where you do your ministry, you pack it up, you go home. I'm talking about sharing our lives with people. And I think most of us know that we should or could be doing something in this space, but we really don't know how. We don't know where to start. And having just said that it's not about ministry, there are actually some ministry opportunities that would help to make this easier for you. Alpha is one of those and it continues to amaze me the strength of the Alpha course in so many different ways and in so many different communities. You know, there um, there are big churches who are relying heavily on doing discipleship in a specific way but they still use Alpha because they know Alpha works. Um, The Empowered Faith Communities um, area is is something that I'm connecting with and encouraging other people to connect with. And maybe after this you'll think, I can can be involved in that. So I've been spending a lot of time talking to people with um, empowered faith communities, which are exactly what they sound like. They're faith communities where you are empowering the people in those communities to reach out to their friends and their their little circle of influence around them. Empowered faith communities still use Alpha. So they are doing all about relationship, all about getting alongside people, but once a year they'll do Alpha, just to take people through that course, uh, which sort of leads them a little bit further into their relationship with Jesus. Empowered faith communities are high relationship low challenge, which is sort of what I was talking about before. You're not going in there and saying, you guys need to get all fixed up. Uh, And being low on relationship, you are going in there high on relationship. It is all about the relationship. And the challenge to them is quite low. You're not expecting them to get all fixed up. And this is why that probably isn't for everyone. (laughs) You have to be able to live in that gap. You have to be able to live, live with people where they are and not... I mean, we want them to come to know Jesus and we, want, we think that eventually that that will show fruit in their life, but they'll still be those people and that is why they are still the right people to reach out to the people around them. We aren't perfect. We don't do family perfectly, even amongst ourselves. Mostly I think that's because we're time poor. I can only really speak for me. How can I do better at this? Because I really want to. What do I have to change so that I have more time to just be with the people I care about that aren't part of our family yet? And it's not my role to do that for everyone. We all need to be able to do this for each other, which is why... Uh, small groups are so important and why our social activities are so important because we grow together as family during those times so those of us who saw the snake yesterday we had a shared experience we survived it (laughs) Uh, but we'll be a little bit closer because of that and and there are there are other times you know community fun day when we were um coming together as a whole church to serve together that's a shared experience where we increase our Connection and our sense of family as we serve together. But we're not perfect. Do I always invite people to join in with the things that we're doing? How often do I take that risk? Did I invite Fred to our church picnic? No, I didn't. And I know exactly why I didn't. It's because that week it would have cost me too much. I would have had to have organised his transport and the whole family, and uh, so I didn't. But I need to get better at doing that. Jesus shared his life with his disciples. He ate food with everyone. This made the religious people mad at times. They didn't object to the party. They knew that God's kingdom was supposed to be a celebration, but what they objected to was the guest list. Would we object to a guest list that included people very different to us? Down in Rosebud, they have an empowered faith community that is made up of people who are or have been homeless and all sorts of other things as well. And they also have a really focused individual relationship with people who, for legal reasons, are not allowed to go to church. So just think about that for a moment. There has to be individual, they have to go and meet these people one-on-one because they are not allowed to be around other people. And that is a challenge, that is a real stretch for us and I'm not suggesting that we go from doing this to that immediately. Um, But there are some little steps that we can take along the way. So I've focused a fair bit on the poor and the marginalised in what I'm saying. Um, but it's not, not only them. There are some, some other hard nuts to crack, if you like. There are people who do think that they've got their lives all together. They are well-resourced. They think that they have everything that they need. Um, so how do you break into that? Who is on your guest list? Who will you take a risk and share your life with? Someone who cheats on their taxes? Someone who's mean someone who is God of their own life, someone who has no idea how to manage difficulties and conflict in relationship. There's an example of this in the Rosebud um, Empowered Faith community. There was a, a, a lady there who um, was being mentored by a family and, and just the great joy for her was being able to see a family go through conflict and struggle and manage it well. She'd never seen that before. She had no um, example of that in her life that she could follow and she, so she was learning stuff all the time from them because they were sharing openly and in a real way that they did have conflict in their family but this was how they handled it. They explained it really, really well to her. So she was just um, mind-blown. Who is around you that you can bring a little closer and model a different and better way to live, one where God is the head and their father who adores them. Mm. And really, the words in the, the songs that we just sang were, you know, well-chosen for this message. And there's a line in one of those songs that I think, if you can get someone to sing that with their whole heart, um, it's a win, And the line is, in my Father's house there is a place for me. How many people in our community don't feel or have never felt that there is a place for them? But if you can draw somebody into that relationship with God where they know that He is their Father and that there is a place for them to belong. We used to run a course here called Care Force Life Keys and, and the 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 premise of it was that that everybody is asking three questions. Am I accepted? Am I valued? And do I have a place to belong? And if you think about it in your life, you are always asking those questions. Um, Maybe not overtly, but you are asking those questions. We all need to know that we are accepted. We all need to know that we have value and we all need to know that we have a place to belong. In my father's house, there's a place for me. That'll change your life, if you believe that. I'll get the band to come back up, if that's okay. And we're going to come around uh, the communion table now. So you will notice that there are four stations, so the people nearer the back can go to a back corner. Um, And just as we come around the communion table to share this meal together as a family... We can take a moment to reflect on what this means for you. Before Jesus, there was a need for sacrifices to be made, and we can read this in the Old Testament, the extraordinary lengths people had to go to before they were right to come before God. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can now come into his presence easily, boldly, and we eat this simple meal to remember the price he paid so we can be his family. There are people in our family who are hurting right now. There are people who are struggling in a variety of ways. There are people going to Melbourne this week for surgery. There are people going to Melbourne. Nathan's going back tomorrow to have round three of chemo. Eight-year-old boy. There's another person going to Melbourne tomorrow for follow up investigations and treatments for something that is life-changing and has been life-changing for their family so let's just remember them in our prayers i invite you to stand and we'll pray together before we um, take this communion i invite you to just take it as you're ready during this next song We're eating it as a family, but it's also personal for you. This is a time for you to come before God and remember the great sacrifice that He's made for you. God, we thank you. We thank you for the way that you love us so completely, the way that you move towards us, the way that you came first, the way that you loved us first when we were strangers, when we were sinners and we were not worth it. You considered us worth it and you came for us. You continue to love us. You continue to pursue us. And you were always right there whenever we turn around to you. God, we bring before you our family that is hurting and in difficulty. Maybe there are the other needs that people know of. God, we bring them before you now. We thank you, God, that you that you love these people, that you go before them. God, we thank you for the way that you have created our bodies that are able to heal themselves. God, we thank you for the wisdom of doctors, for, for medicine, for surgery, and for the free access that we have to those things in this country. God, we are so grateful. But, God, we ask particularly that you go with these people that you have your arms wrapped around them, that they know that you have your arms wrapped around them. And God, as we eat this simple meal, help us to remember and reflect and celebrate on everything that this means to us. God, we thank you for your message in your Bible, which we know is true. Help us to operate out of a a confidence in you that, that allows us to just get close to other people. Help us to infect other people with your love as we move around and minister to the people who are close to us. God, we ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.